Welcome, welcome Unlocks Podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Tudor. This is the show where we work together to bring you winning business strategies and tactics from those who have been there and done that and got the experience and the scars to speak for itself. Our aim is to help smaller players in the game so we can collectively grow the scene together. My guest today is a former fighter, a coach. He's currently a successful business owner, two locations in Sydney. He's also a promoter, plus he's the state president of the New South Wales Muay Thai. He's a lover of all things fast in terms of bikes, graffiti and 90s hip hop. So without further ado, please welcome our guest, Andrew Parnham, Sydney, Australia. <laughs> yeah, that's a mad intro. Thanks, man. <laughs> Try to bring the hype on. What's on your mixtape right now, man, as you're blasting past on your fast bike? Actually, Killer Mike <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just made a new album. Yeah, so I'm having a bit of a listen to that. But yeah, it's, it's going on, man. Heat's going on. Uh, cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey, I hear, in New South Wales, mate. It's cold. Andrew, I like to start these things off, man, by asking a little bit of a curveball. It's called the burning question. The house is burning down. Everybody in your family say, but you get to take three material items. What are they? Time is ticking. I'll take one of my bikes, the dragster. I got that for my 40th birthday. It's number 20 of 200 in the world. But that's fucking coming for sure. I've got an heirloom that's been given to me. It's actually a peregrine falcon's foot. I've had it with me since I was eight years old. My great uncle gave it to me. Other than that, man, I've got, I can't pick a pair of shoes, so I don't have to lose them. <laughs> He just grabs the whole chest, the closet. He just takes yeah, the whole thing yeah. up with him. A watch. I've got. I've got a watch that I bring with me too. Yeah. Andy Parnham, why did you decide to start the business PTJ? So you've been in the Muay Thai industry as a fighter, and then um, further as like kind of a pad holder and and helping out with other fighters doing that for a bit but i, I really enjoyed it because I, I was teaching when i was in thailand too and I, i've always just had a bit of a passion for sharing knowledge i was pretty shy originally in front of a class and a group environment but mm. um as things developed and my confidence grew in, in doing that especially from being over overseas i thought you know what oh, i'm in an airing i'm in an airing and then it, my brother was like man what are you doing like fuck just oh sorry can i swear on this <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you do what you do, man. Just go for it. What are you doing? And he's right. Like, there was nothing on this side of the river, if you know where we are, that there was absolutely no, like, combat sports gyms around. So took a massive gamble, eh? It was basically me and my missus. I was working at Optus to pay the bills. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to have a crack at it. And if all else fails, I'm just going to do a run <laughs> straight back to Thailand. <laughs> so we... Um, we, we signed up on this lease. Thinking back, man, it was pretty crazy. Like I started from absolute scratch, never had a single member, didn't have any PTs, absolute nothing. We signed a lease on a building and to save money, me and my wife decided to move into the attic there and just live in the gym. Ah. Yeah. On money. Here you get like a two or three month free rent period. And our goal was just to get it up and running as quickly as possible. It was bare bones. It was just couldn't afford anything I've, I've, i had the first ring was a 250 dollars wrestling ring that i'd salvaged from someone yeah and yeah it had like a bouncy floor in the middle springs and stuff and uh, we used that which is pretty cool and then we just got going and my wife she was pregnant as well at the time so the whole my whole world was just this mountain of stress and pressure social media wasn't huge then it was just starting off with the, like the old Facebook. Yeah. We kind of jumped on it from the get-go. There weren't a, a main road-facing premises or anything like that. 
but we were really, really lucky in the first couple of members we got on board, which was Tyler Brown uh, and another guy, Scott Wilson, both fought for us. But they were really top guys, had a lot of friends in the neighborhood. Everyone just started coming through. And then another bloke, like a local celebrity here, shout out to Matt. We ended up just with this like awesome community of guys. And just one thing led to another. We just kept on building from there. Andy, you want to go back now and talk to that younger Andy for a second. With the Andy that you are now, with all of the knowledge and, and all the experiences you've got behind you, what advice would you have to that younger Andy? The older me going back, especially in the transition from going from like a fighter slash hobby gym and working full time, I probably would have told myself, man, just like go full time and 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 make this your life. A couple of, you know, really good people in the industry around the time, um, guys like Reinhard Bedardo, Darren Reese, a couple of other people who who had made that switch early on, they just said to me, man, you, the more you time and effort you put into your business, better and more successful your business is going to be. And sure enough, when I left the day job, man, it was only a matter of time. And honestly, like it, it was the best move I ever made. How did you get to your first 50 members? All I was concentrating on at the time was just paying my rent. Like I remember just thinking, if it's 40 bucks a member and the rent's four grand a month, I got to get you know X amount of members to pay for that. Otherwise, I'm fucked. No one was using social media and, and like we used to cop a bit of flack for that. Like, and I, and I still feel like Aussies, we've still got this tall poppy syndrome thing. Mm. Only now that the younger guys are starting to get behind it, embrace it. We just jumped on it straight away. And if we didn't jump on it straight away, we wouldn't have ended up where we ended up, right? Like, But I remember the 100 was the one that I really wanted to get before I moved full time. Just some advice for younger guys with gyms coming up is don't be afraid to ask for help, reach out for help. And just like a fighter would do, you get coaches, whether it's strength and conditioning coaches, dietitians, boxing coaches, Muay Thai coaches, all of that, you reach out to them to help you perfect your craft. I reached out to a guy back then named um, Andrew Sparks and he really helped me with like my mindset and the, and the way I was approaching my business because like, you're running a hobby gym, if you want to go, you got to go and go for it. And I followed his lead with some of the strategies at the time and and that really helped me get to that 100 mark. And man, I, I was flying when I hit that one. And after that, you have other different like challenges as you get bigger. And I'm, I got them now. But once I hit that 100, man, I was so stoked. We're talking about Gladsville here, the OG location. It took you how long to get to 100? I feel like the first 50 was quick. It was all word of mouth and it was all organic. 100 was the one where I really had to take a little step back and start to look at my gym like a business rather than you know, your typical fight gym. Um, and, and that was really hard for me because I, I got into this because I was a fighter and my passion is yeah. fighting. I had to really take a good look at myself. I take back some of the things like I would have said to myself subconsciously about other successful older gyms that were doing it. Like as a business back then, I was like one of those guys saying, fuck, look at that guy with his, what's he doing, man? Like it's a fight. <laughs> or what? Like, give, give, guy, give us an example. You know what? Here's a good one. So at the moment, we've got a bit of a tradition now with our uh, fight team jerseys. They earn that fight jersey when they have their first fight. No one else can get it. It's not available for sale. It's given to them by another fighter or a training partner. It's not given to them by us. And mm -hmm. before they have their first fight, they get given that. And I got that idea from a, a book called uh, Legacy. It was about the Kiwi rugby team and about like some of the traditions and cultures that, that All Blacks had in the way that they develop their team and culture. And I thought, man, i got to do it. Like, that is sick. And just some real little tweaks around the way that the, the Kiwi rugby coaches used to make them clean the dressing shed, all this type of stuff. And I thought, these are little things I want to add. To rewind back into that, I remember seeing other gyms with fight team shirts. And I thought, fuck you guys are sellouts, man. What are you doing? Like, look at these guys. 
we don't do that here. We're a traditional Muay Thai gym. But now as I've grown yeah. up and I've realized some of the reasons behind that, I fully take that back. And I thought it was actually a really cool thing and I use it now. So How important is that vulnerability to reach out and say, hey, man, I need a little bit of help with this. Or can I pick your brain on that? It's super important. Like every day I'm in touch with, you know, guys other gym owners and like kieran other guys who run gyms are always in touch i i feel like back when we started like i consider myself a second generation gym i feel like back then no one would do that because everyone was afraid to give away secrets and all that shit but the younger guys are heaps more collaborative they're easy they'll reach out they'll hit me up i'll hit them up oh like, man it'll be something on instagram that i see and I'm like man that's sick how did you do that oh you know and then they'll hit me up with something and that's what I really like about the new generation. Mm. They're heaps more open, whereas in the past, I have, man, I'm keeping that to myself. <laughs> yeah, closely guarding those secrets. In the early days, you mentioned uh, early social media or just really fundamental social media. How did you market uh, PTJ at first? Was it you sort of based it around those fighters or what was the sort of ethos or to get things up and running? What did you do? Did Originally, it was more like we didn't really have a uh, strategy at all because social media was still new and... For me, it was just about painting the picture of who we are, documenting everything, just like the normal, like a personal Facebook would be. Through that, that's when like people starting to look at it and go, wow, look at these guys hitting pads. Look at this place. It's sick. You know, I want to come down there. I want to join. I want to have a hit out. So it was, it was pretty organic back then. I think it was my brother at the time. He was like, man, everything you post on there is like fights and fight training and fighters and all these like super like hardworking, talented guys hitting pads and doing all this. If I took a step back and I was a beginner and I remember some of the like inquiries coming through were like, oh, do you guys take beginners? That hit home because I took a step back and went, like, if you just want to start training and you looked at my Facebook page, you would not want to go there because it just looks like a pro fight gym. So we had to then go like down the path, trying to bet at more clips about your average Joe. Mm, I always mm. thought like, like, people just want to see fight shit, but actually like if you're talking to a customer, they don't want to just see like a pro hitting pads all the time. Cause that they also want to feel like they're not going to be the, the shittest cut in the room. Right? Like <laughs> they, they want to be with other people that come and, and, and join together and they want to know that they're going to be in an environment where they're with like-minded and like skilled people, you know? One of the things I've discovered by working with you is you always have a lot of innovation. You're not afraid to try things and you're very collaborative. And I think that's definitely been part of your success. And when and how did you recognize going back to those beginners, that an actual pathway is very important. Very much the times have changed. And as the gym numbers get bigger, it becomes harder to manage entry-level people. So I think back to when we first started, it was like everyone just gets thrown in the deep end. We'll have our select group of guys already there, fighters. People would come in. If they were a good person, they were humbled and they're willing to work with people and not too much of a hero, then they would kind of move into our community well, blended well, and nobody got hurt. We often have people come in who probably weren't a good fit for the gym and maybe had a bit too much of an ego. We'd have to have like enforcers come in and basically weed them out and to the point where you kind of you kind of coach them out. When the numbers are bigger, you got to protect your core community and you're not going to have to worry about those people ruining that. And to do that, you've got to have toll gates. The toll gate for us is everyone starts in our Muay Thai 101 or a, no matter who you are. There are exceptions to the rule, depending on what gyms you've trained at. And you, if you're just a person off the street who might have done something else, you've got to start there. And if you're not mm -hmm. humble enough to start in there, 
then I don't want you in our gym. It's simple as that. If you can be humble enough to take those two weeks out of your life just to be an absolute novice and a beginner again, come in, be coachable, move through those steps, then they go through into the regular program. And that also protects our fighters. It protects our normal members from getting hurt from these guys who come in off the street and want to just throw down in general. And that's how we keep our our core community together and protect them from those people and and it's working and, and it's still done when did you introduce that at what point in the business so here's another one that i used to slag people off for his gradings like i used to fuck i used to look at people who are doing it and go man what are you doing this for i got a gym and i don't need to do that and it's doing well but actually i wasn't really doing that well compared to those guys who were doing that because they were like light years ahead of me as far as membership numbers this guy Sai Naji, <laughs> good friend of mine but he was the one that actually you know he's one of my motivators from when i would decided to go from that hobby gym thing to making this a legit thing because he was already doing it with his boxing gym and he introduced boxing 101 he was like this is mm. our thing we just have beginners then the problem with our beginners is they just stayed in beginners and never moved on he did boxing 101 so, man, that's a great idea. That's the first subject. 101's the first subject you take at uni. Let's do that too. So we introduced Muay Thai 101. Originally, people, like it was beginners and people hanging around there for a little bit too long, too scared to take the step. But now we introduced a two-week rule and they can only stay in there for two weeks and that's it. You've got to push yourself to a certain extent, but we just use that as a way to get the absolute fundamentals in, get a feel for the place get a feel for the coaches, get a feel for the systems and the way that things work within the gym. And then you kind of push on from there and, and you can move into the regular classes. Describe for me that process. What does it look like? Post COVID, we actually introduced something that was really, it's been a game changer for us because we had restrictions on numbers and, and people just used to lob into the gym and, and walk around and ask questions and stuff, which is great. But we actually introduced a booking system for gym tours and consultations that worked a treat so we could guarantee that when someone books one in i get a notification and now when they come in before they've signed up to anything even if they're just looking at the place we'll have andrew which is our um member consultant walk them through watch the class say hi to the coaches and then come back in and then just have a bit of a chat about how it all works and next step is they jump in into our beginner program actually buy into that for two weeks they move into that muay thai 101 where in that class, we assume you know nothing about Muay Thai and you have a zero level of fitness. Like a karate class to start with, like they, they stand in rows, learn how to move forward, backward, side to side. And then the, we run through the basic striking and then we start to get them to lightly partner up and learn how to hold the pads, then move in from the basic striking on focus smiths, uh, tie pads, belly pad, focus smiths, just a real basic rundown so that then when they move in after the two weeks, they know, okay, I know how to check in on the app now. I know where the front door is. I know who the coaches are. I know where the pads are. I know where all that is. I know like we all skip together to start with and then we break off into our little group. So it's a really cool way when a member comes in that they don't feel like a fish out of water, right? Like mm. we even changed our beginner classes. So our beginner classes were at the same time as the fighters class. That was a terrible move because these poor kids are coming in for their first session and they got these guys smashing the guts out of each other, pads, noise, spit, sweat, and they're like, oh. So we, <laughs> the thing is uh, we've got a beginner hour. So when then all the classes finish at 8, beginner hour starts at 8 p.m. and they got the whole gym to themselves and it's a much more relaxed environment and then they can kind of get used to it. They move into like our – it's called Muay Thai for everyone. It's your mixed-level class. It'll be a structured – shadow boxing session with the technique of the day and then they jump on pads they have a set technique 
the coaches explain it to them. They get a couple of rounds each, swap it over. Yeah, it's great. Uh, make after that. <laughs> but clearly those guys have been inducted and that's going to help your retention numbers, surely, right? They've earned their stripes. Like I, We could do it stricter and more formal with the grading systems and stuff, but at the moment, this is like a, it's a good medium. They do the Muay Thai for everyone for a bit, then they, they got a taste for it. They're used to light contact and then do you want to learn how to spar properly now or you want to learn how to clinch? And Cool. So then they can move into that class. And I feel like for me, the most important part of that class is not just being able to take the contact, but it's learning how to try and control your emotions when you're sparring and, and not hit too hard and all of that. And this is like one of those toll gates where if you're being a cunt in those classes under full supervision and you can't control yourself, a lot of the time these guys get coached out anyway and, and, they, and they can't get even get to the fighter level. And there's that. But then the other side of those classes, which is very important for us, especially for people who are looking to move into the fight team is the clinching aspect of it because we're a very clinch heavy gym. We spend a lot of time on it. And for someone to go from like a Muay Thai for everyone class into a fighter class, it, it wouldn't work. Whereas our sparring and clinch class, it's almost 50-50 every session. They get those skills and they get that. And so that then, all right, cool, you want to fight? Now we've got like a in-house sparring day. So then that's where we kind of test the water's a little more between the two gyms. We have judges on the side. We have a ref and we let them go harder than normal. And we get tell them literally, you got to try and win this fight. And then it kind of moves on from there. Great. So that's kind of like the stepping stone into, hey, now you're a fighter. You're joining our fighters class. We're going to start matching you to grades as such into state and international competitions, correct? Yep. That's the one, man. Yep. For sure. Yeah, and it's like a, a goal too. The goal thing Again, this is a thing that I didn't really appreciate that much when we were opening up and everyone was just going for it. But as you get bigger, it's so important for these guys to have these little like gateways and, and, and goals so that they can say, oh, you know what? I want to join a sparring class. I'm doing sparring now. I want to do a sparring day. Well, you know, come and watch one first. Yeah. And then they see, and they're like, oh, shit, I want to do that. I can do that. The guy next to me is shitter than me. And he did real good. Surely I can do that now. So he can yeah. jump in and have a crack and they can punch on and, and have a real good time. And then, and then like, oh, actually, you know what? Maybe I can do this. And, and you know, a good example, that's like Yolanda, our most successful fighter. She only started Muay Thai for fun and fitness. And gradually she moved through the processes of going through like fitness classes to fighters classes. Next minute, 50 fights later, 10-year fight career, fought around the world and then beat pretty much everyone in her division in that particular time. Amazing outcome. So in terms of culture, what are some of the attributes you're actually looking for when you're outsourcing a team or when you're hiring a team member? It's been my hardest role, still is now. I didn't start a gym to be a businessman. I started the gym because I love fighting. I love Muay Thai. It's my passion, still is, 25 years later. I love it. Mm -hmm. But now it's really hard for me learning to take the step back. As far as like staff are concerned, whether they're onshore or offshore staff, got to be hungry and willing to go the extra mile. And my brother once said it to me, because he's worked in professional sports like NRL and top level tennis and rugby union and all the rest of it. And he's like, man, in professional sports, there are no days off. The athletes get days off, but when you're a coach, team owner, I guess, there are no days off. You can sneak them in here and there. That's fine. You need coaches who are willing to go that extra mile. We're not signing up to a nine to five here. We're signing up to split shifts. We're looking after athletes. So there's events 
And you got to be willing to be able to do that. You got to be a really personable person. Being an introvert is really hard in our role, but you got to be someone that our members are aspiring to be like, you know, mm. what I mean? but that, that to be hungry is, is a really, really important quality for me. I, I don't want people here for a holiday. I want people here to work. I want people here to share their passion. Like a guy like Jamie Elaine, who, who looks after not just our boxing program, but in our Muay Thai thing. And the guy's still learning his trade as a coach. He was a fantastic fighter, done it all. But as a coach, he's still learning how to manage uh, how to manage entry-level people and build them up. He's so passionate at what he does. Like sometimes I have to pull the reins back on him, but you know that's an awesome quality to have. I prefer to be pulling the reins back on someone than having to get the fucking stick out and beat them. <laughs> and that, you know, that quality, and, and you can't can't buy that. <laughs> I love it. So one is that they are passionate, that they bring energy, that obviously they love the game. Two is that they're coachable. They come with a hunger. They come with a real hunger and a desire to serve people um, at, at the best of their abilities. And that that yeah. definitely is it. Another reason that's enabled you to get more time out and work on the business is that you actually have systemized a lot of these processes. How you work with uh, t- team outside, you know, people outside of your team, and how you work with yeah. subcontractors and you know other agencies, and how you sort of manage all that sort of piece for your business. Always learning. So anyone who who listens to this, no matter how old you are. You need to still make sure you're always learning. I feel like the moment you stop learning, especially in this industry and the, and, you're, and you're dealing with younger people all the time and the older I get, the gap gets bigger. If you fucking stop that learning, man, your business is just going to... Or you got to hire people who are willing to change and learn and leave that to them and let them manage that if you can't handle it. We've used heaps of different people, trial and error involved. But as you know, and through us working together, I hired you guys because I feel like it's a good brand fit. The way that you guys do your reels and the way you guys work your stuff, it gels and it mixes really well. And the way that we communicate with each other in Telegram and everything like that, it's really honest and get a really good result out of that. And it suits the brand and it, it's ours. Like it looks, if like people didn't know that you were doing my stuff, right? I've had some people say to me like, oh, you went from doing pretty cool reels now to like fucking this. What have you done? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm not doing them anymore. So professionals are doing <laughs> it. The best thing for me around that was knowing that the brand and the way that that is working and people think that that's me, that's like the perfect fit, right? Like if they think yeah. that that's me doing that, and you, but it's not me, then, man, we're ticking boxes left, right, and center. So I think that's really important. Don't stray from who you are as as a gym or a business or hiring people and hiring companies to work with you, even though the experts in their field and you need to utilize them for that, but let's not forget who you are and don't change the fundamentals of your business, your brand, why you started it up and where you want to go with it. You know, you guys have guidelines in there. What is PTJ and what isn't PTJ? So my next question for you is like, what would you not compromise on in the business no matter what? What are some of those things for you? We're authentic in everything that we do. I've got a passion for Muay Thai. When we first opened up, we would never have thought that you'd be able to run a, a, a gym purely Muay Thai orientated, mm. gyms, weights, gyms, all the rest of it. But we've stuck to that and we've stayed true to that all the way up until now. Same goes for like my passion with combat sports. I love Muay Thai. But then, you know, we've introduced a boxing program. I love boxing and always have loved boxing since I was a kid but it's true to form. I've had so many opportunities and you know what? I've fucked up a couple of times and even tried to add a few different things like fitness wise Mm. and stuff like that. But in the end, 
we're an authentic Muay Thai gym. We teach stadium style of Muay Thai, which is a, is true to form. Straight from that, we've we got like a Muay Thai fitness class. But even in that class, the guys are getting pulled up for their technique. We, we do not compromise on that. It's full stop. Yeah. I love that. Uh, where do you see the business in five or three, five, eight years? Where do you see it going? Talk a little bit about this lately. And um, the concern for me is return on investment for the price you pay in our area for floor space versus what are members willing to pay to stay there. Rent prices here are going up through the roof. We've got like a 450 square meter facility and we charge 55 bucks a week at the moment, which is, it's trying to trying to balance where that's gonna go in the next five to 10 years. Yep. A couple of years ago, I would be like, yeah, sweet man. I don't wanna go anywhere, I'm gonna stay here. I build an awesome team around me so that I don't have to be here as often. And when I'm like, you know, 10 years from here, when I'm getting on the, the the older end of the thing i can move overseas or i can be between different countries and do whatever it is that i want to do i could do that but my concern now is how are we going to do that and will this model work anymore because they're knocking down all these buildings like apartments are popping up so it's going to be super hard to find a mm. facility where the rent's reasonably cheap you can smash the you can do whatever the fuck you want to the building <laughs> And no one cares. There's no neighbors around you and all of that. Now it's starting to look like Sydney's down the line. It might end up having to be broken up into, I'm just forward thinking here. Go back to micro gym statuses, but multiple micro gyms. So, you know, you're 100, 200 square meter, charge a little more than you would, but you can't have those big 500 square facilities with, with X amount of members in them. But hopefully yeah. not. Hopefully we can just stay where we are and I'll, I'll be stoked. I could just run that model, hand over the chain of command to people who like, you know, gradually work their way out because they've got to have a pathway too, right? Yeah. And I, th I guess that's part of the engagement because, you know, you, you always talk about pathways and you're talking about pathways for the members. Same too with you guys that are working for you, your coaches. They understand the pathway of what's happening for them, how much they can potentially earn if they put a little bit more into um, you know, growing their skill base, they can grow their customer base, have more PTs, make more money, have more impact on their communities and actually have more fighters come through. These pathways are clear. And now you're talking about where you guys are heading of what's happening around you in Gladesville, but there's a lot of high density apartments around there. These are real pressures on the business. When you talk about like that demographics and stuff, probably one of the biggest challenges I've had with our Gladesville versus Brookvale, when I opened up the second one, I was like, yeah, sweet. I'm from the Western suburbs and being brought up in the suburbs. I love the beaches, but I've never been there. A massive learning curve, learning about there are a, a different demographic out there and trying to manage that's been really tricky, but we're, we're starting to learn a little more about it and, and listen more to the, the customers that are coming through. But again, being authentic with what we do and we're not compromising for who we are because up on the beaches there's just got so much choice up there for you know mm. sports activities where this and this is what they are they'd actually need it up there when you find us you're going to get that experience it's not going to be a mishmash of all, all sorts of shit i appreciate that just in terms of like failures you we talked about the sort of wide-eyed early stage andy jumping in with a wife is saying let's just go for it did you guys take out a loan back then or did you make any big mistakes that you would like to speak upon that andy now would say to andy then mate don't do it don't do that. Yeah, like hidden costs were the big one when we first opened up. I started with 10 grand and that was me. Um, that's all I had. And I say this to people who are looking at opening uh, opening new gyms or starting new gyms. When you start a gym, if you think about what combat sports is, you don't need the fancy shit. Thailand is a really good opportunity. That Granted, we don't want to be training in like scummy 
things with all sorts of weird and wonderful animals and running around us and all the rest of it and having to go and have a shower to wash the gym off us. But in essence, a combat sports gym is a place where you learn about your art. So you don't need the fancy stuff. So when we started as a bare bones place, it looked cool, but it was cheap as hell. The thing that I really mucked up on is I wasn't aware of things like lawyers fees. I wasn't aware that a jigsaw mat cost so much money that it was actually going to kill most of my budget on the floor only. One one of the biggest failures I ever made uh, was I launched a campaign which was so cheap that I ended up with half a gym filled with people who weren't paying any money. It was like a summer campaign. No idea. Let's just do summer, a hundred bucks for three months or something stupid like that. I said, that'll get bums on seats. They weren't locked into anything. And man, it was... To this day, it's probably the worst business decision I made. It scared the shit out of me because, you know, we had like obviously a retention, we're losing members, but all these new members were coming on at this ridiculously cheap rate to the point where I was like, how are we going to pay our rent? And then thankfully that three months ended and I was like, sweet. Um, <laughs> taxes in Australia are terrible. So, you know, staying on top of your taxes is a really important thing. I didn't learn anything about business when I was at school. You never taught about things like taxes and how to run a business. And I've just had to learn it on the fly, really challenging. And I, and I feel like young guys, if you're out there, do whatever you can to learn about the tax system. I'm still terrible with it, mm -hmm. about the numbers and all the rest of it. And real estates. Sorry if you're a real estate agent, but real estate agents, in my opinion, are some of the scummiest people on the planet to deal with. You got to cross your T's, dot your I's, make sure you got a solicitor looking over any of your leasing documents. Otherwise, you're going to be up shit creek without a paddle. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get on to something a bit more positive. It's a two-part question. What's the most rewarding part of being a coach and what's the most rewarding part of being a combat gym, more specifically a Muay Thai gym business owner? I love watching people grow. I love every now and again looking at a memory that pops up in my phone of one of the boys in the fight gym who used to be a complete umpty and had no idea what he was doing now he's a professional like i i get a real kick out of that fighting obviously that's what what drives me so our fight team and having them compete and whether they win lose or draw i'm just addicted to the sporting i call it like the sporting drama good decisions shit decisions like all the rest of it like i thrive off that it makes me go red in the face and like my blood pressure <laughs> probably boils at times and people love or hate me but in the end like that's my absolute passion and i, and I get a real kick out of you know, the, the actual competition side of things as well. The other one, I guess, is the, what were you saying about being a gym owner, living my dream, I guess, and, I, and hopefully my staff are too, right? If you had told me 20 years ago that I could be running a business and living off a business and having, being able to provide for my family by owning a Muay Thai only gym. I remember telling my mum that I was doing this and she just was like, what are you doing <laughs> she's just worried she's worried yeah and, then, and, a, and an uncle of mine once is a successful businessman and i remember speaking to him at a party once and having a beer and that and he's like you make money out of this and i was like well, oh yeah. i'm employed i can't go on the dole and he's like so how does it work i said well it's just like a gym you can't have fun <laughs> sport. it's like soccer oh so but for me to be able to actually do it full time, I, I absolutely love that. The hardest part for me is the business side of it. So yeah, but being able to have a wife, kids and family and the rest of it who are fully funded by my passion, which is Muay Thai, is fucking mm -hmm. awesome.
Mate, I love it. Do you have particular success habits that you follow daily that help you uh, to get through? To get through is a really good way to put that because we're in a really weird industry whereby your members can actually be are actually your friends, your customers are your friends. I think that's a really hard model at times because mm -hmm. when your friends leave you, it kind of leaves that a bit of emptiness, you know? So that's like a really, really challenging part about what we do, especially fighters, because you, you give them your heart. I've got some non-negotiables anymore. I train three times a week, no matter what, um, at Athletes Authority uh, with my wife, which is awesome. We do that together. That's not negotiable. Everything it works around that. Um, mm -hmm my bikes are my passion so i always try to at least go for one nice ride i've made the choice of never to have headphones or anything like that attached to my helmet and i just ride and that's my like i always feel like i'm on a holiday when i'm in there <laughs> the other decision i made as the kids got bigger like um i've worked my ass off like i've man i used to work 6 a.m to fucking 9 p.m while the kids were young i always said that once that they tell me that you're working too much i'd stop that and they did when my daughter was old enough she said that so i then made the decision to not work mornings anymore so that's not negotiable i i'm with the kids in the morning until they drop off and then yep i go to work that's my non-negotiable emails are not on my phone i don't respond to fucking anyone on a sunday anymore you know it was just getting to a point where especially going from the hobby gym to full-time gym and running a business sundays were uh, i used to dread I used to turn my phone off. People were out in the piss watching UFC or big fight nights and whatever. And that was their day to call. And I just get people like, I'm like, man, this is a Sunday. This is too much. And I'm trying to have a barbie with my mates or my missus or family or whatever. So um, that's a non-negotiable. Um, Sundays are just off, man. Like, yeah. So that's it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, barriers in place or just, uh, you know, to, 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 Protect yourself and make sure that you're charged up, ready to go again on a Monday. I really like that. I think that's, man, that's uh, like for anyone who, who's got that workaholic meant like personality, I'm all over the shop a lot of the time. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned. Got to have the switch off time because Muay Thai is my life, but you got to have a hobby outside of that to keep yourself fresh -er than if you just stuck with it because man if it wasn't i would just be watching fights all fucking day all night like seeing me friday night man i have a hard time turning off the tv now and um, but you know you've got to have it <laughs> i know it's just too good right here in, here in thailand you've got your friday nights with one you've oh. got your saturdays with rws you've got something else it's just consistent fights that you could be watching and analyzing and quite often supporting the friends that you know like shout outs uh andy mentions to getting you to this point obviously shout out to my wife for letting me be me and do this that takes a lot they're muay thai widows i call them so shout out to my missus for supporting me throughout this whole thing people in the industry have been really supportive of me people like cy kieran don miller aram these days and also um, like, you know, my local community, like guys like Lewis Regis, uh, Shane Greenwood, uh, we've got an amazing team of New South Wales gym owners who are always open to new ideas and working together on that. Some of the OGs like Darren Reese has been a, a, you know, an amazing person that I've always looked up to as a, not just as a fighter, but then into a coach and, and, and gym owner and Nugget and uh, Mark Cassinetti as well. They're guys that I've always just kind of really looked up to. So big shout out to all of those guys. Appreciate all your work and everything like that too. I love it. And and thank you, brother. Like one last question before you go. Obviously, your fight days, mate. 
anyone that you could go back in time, man, and put the put the gloves on, jump back into the ring and have another scrap with, who's it going to be? Call them out. I didn't fight it like like a super high level, man, but uh, I remember fighting in Ifma. I fought this Thai guy, and uh, I, wanna, I would have loved to have fought him again fresh. It was like my second fight in two days, but I would have loved to have fought him again, man. <laughs> I'll get the name, man. I'm going to bring this up. We're going to turn this into something at some Gun stage. Took we'll a medal away from me, man. If I hadn't got him fresh, I would have fucking got that medal. That's <laughs> the th- that's the thing about you, Aussies, mate. You love your sport, man. It's hard to beat you. you, you when you get committed, you you're tough to beat. Just like the Kiwis, man. <laughs> Too good, brother. Thank you so much for your time, Andy. Make sure to follow him on the Instagram there, Andrew underscore PTJ Muay Thai. Of course, his successful gym as well, PTJ Muay Thai, over there in Sydney. Appreciate your time, brother, and your insights. And we will catch you on the next one. Thank you, man.